Welcome to Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. In this podcast, I chat to athletes, coaches, and industry professionals about their sporting journey and the lessons they've learned along the way. Guests range from Olympians to the everyday lover of sport, but the message stays the same. There is so much more to sport than what meets the eye. Make sure you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow on Spotify so you don't miss the release of each new episode. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. I'd love to hear from you. Today we are joined by Australian cross-country skier Sevi DeCampo. Sevi takes us through his early years participating as a junior in cricket and AFL and how he made his way to cross-country skiing as well as the moment he knew he was passionate about it. I found it really interesting to get an insight into how someone is able to train and compete at an international level in a winter sport when our country Australia is known for its warm weather. Before we get started, this chat was recorded before Melbourne went into its fourth lockdown, so any reference to our freedoms we have might be slightly out of context, but it just goes to show how quickly things can change in the space of a week. There's a fair few lessons that Sevi was able to share mixed with a healthy amount of banter, so I hope you enjoy this episode. I guess I want to like start off to find out cross-country skiing. Firstly, what is it? Can you explain to me what cross-country skiing is in a simple way? Yeah, so it's a winter sport where you compete against others on a course that has a start and a finish in the same spot, and so it's going up and downhill on a prepared track. So different to like backcountry skiing or touring or whatever. Yeah, they groom a track and you you race along. I don't know if you've seen videos, but it's one of the hardest sports in the world. When you look at the VO2 max numbers, like the world record numbers, it's mostly cross-country skiers and I guess cyclists or some runners. But yeah, because it's quite hard um, because you're on two pairs of ski or two skis that are skinny, uh, and you you have poles as well. So um, you use all your body, and it's very technically involved as well. Yeah, the best athletes are actually more the the ones that are most efficient rather than the ones with the absolute highest VO two max. Yeah, I guess you can you can grab the first part of that if you want to keep it simple. Uh, <laughs> Like I was watching on YouTube a few videos of cross-country skiing and you said it was uphill and downhill. So your skis, your heels are loose, is that right? Yeah. Well, there's two techniques, two styles that you compete in. One's classic and the other's skating. And classic's the oldest technique, the more traditional one. The technique that they actually just did back in the first winter olympic games in 1924 it's a fun fact cross country was one of the five traditional sports of the olympic games so that's the one where you more noticeably see the heel come out and sort of looks like running when Mm -hmm. going up the hill you've got like a grip wax underneath your toe so when you push down it sticks to the snow but when you're going on the downhill with two feet there's not enough weight for it to stick. So you can go down the hill as well. And the other techniques skating and that sort of just looks like speed skating a little. Mm-hmm. So you push to the side and generate enough force that you can go up a hill. 
Yep. And you've got your poles as well, so they, they help. And you'd probably yeah. need very, very good balance. Um, my snow sport experience is very limited, but I could just imagine like the balance that you'd need. Yeah, no, that's true. And often that's why you can't come into cross-country skiing uh, like as a mature age athlete or like even in high schools, almost a bit late to do it at the highest level because you need to be so well balanced and efficiency comes hand in hand with that mm-hmm. because yeah the better balance you have the the more efficient and less energy you waste when you're moving so yeah like you can work on your balance like doing single leg exercise in the gym but a lot of it sort of comes from just playing around on snow and sort of just having fun with it from a really young age yeah, so you've obviously gotten into it quite young, but you started off playing cricket and footy, is that right? Yeah, how did you know that? Uh, Google. <laughs> <laughs> really, is that on Google? <laughs> yeah, I played a lot of cricket and a lot of footy. I have to say AFL up here in Canberra just because, yeah, I know I don't like it, but <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, there's sometimes a bit of confusion. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's good to hear a fellow Victorian <laughs> just call it footy. <laughs> yeah, I played a lot of footy, club footy and club cricket when I was young. And like if I wasn't skiing, I'd I'd want to be playing AFL, I think, if I was to do another sport. And I had a young brother and, and my dad, we would kick the footy a lot in the park. So whilst like the Norwegians were going out and, um, you know, cross-country skiing mm-hmm. when they were six um I was at least kicking the footy which is which isn't nothing so it's pretty (laughs) good (laughs) well like I guess coming from Victoria the big sports in our area are footy as in AFL footy and cricket and that's what you do you do yeah and you do cricket in summer so you know it's really awesome that you were able to have that in your childhood exactly yeah lived the dream yeah but what made you transfer over to you know the snow because it's very different yeah as a family we went up to Mount Buller like a little bit like a handful of times each year because dad's side of the family was a big skiing family mm-hmm. and dad was uh, at one point one of the best like under 16 under 18 alpine skiers so he wow. was quite into it before being injured and yeah so he took us up and we do a little bit of skiing, but mostly just fun. A little bit of inter-schools competition. I'd never did cross-country, though, until year six. And Dad just suggested one night, because he was planning teams for the inter-schools, because we were a small primary school. And he just turned to me and said, Sevi, why don't you try cross-country skiing this year? And I said, why? And he said, well, you probably have a better chance of winning some medals <laughs> than if you did the other disciplines <laughs> yeah well that's all right like I guess as a kid what motivates you is probably winning or doing well exactly. and, and that, if that's where you started that's where you started how do yeah. you find I guess it's a family legacy you know if he did quite well at it and then you were exposed yeah. to it how did you find like having did you have expectations well, no he never had expectations but I guess and especially when I'm that young, like I don't really pick up on much apart from the fact that I think I just noticed 
he just loved it like mm-hmm. just the general atmosphere excitement. around yeah. excitement around if I did well in I mean any sport really but because he also played AFL footy I just had good confidence that you know he really liked when I did well in skiing and um that support that often maybe is intangible or like you don't it's just subconscious mm-hmm. kind of spurs you to keep keep wanting to to do well and that you can commit to it a bit more yeah yeah like and time-wise did yeah. you find having because I come from parents that weren't involved in sports so, so okay. I had to teach them yeah. what I needed kind of thing yeah. did you find having his input was helpful like it was really good to have that backing behind you that someone who kind of knew what you're going through yeah I mean he didn't necessarily know all about the training and all that because it was sort of different back <laughs> in the 80s. But, yeah, like just the full sort of backing of whatever I came up with, it was just like, yeah, got around that, fostered that that passion. And mum's good as well, but she sort of probably didn't play as much sport or just maybe didn't she didn't have any skiing in her life until she met dad so she didn't really maybe get the skiing as much initially Mm -hmm. um but yeah so and then like dad still in a heartbeat would come to any major international competition if he can get out of work or whatever like he'll fly to had last world champs in germany he just flew over he just just loves it (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's really nice. And in terms of world champs, like you've done a few junior world champs now. Yeah. And then this one was at just open world champ. Like I don't know how it's divided. Yeah. From the top, it's Olympics are every four years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they have a senior world champs every second year, sort of hugging the Olympics a little bit. And then every year they have a world juniors and under 23 champs mm-hmm. combined and also like just a world cup circuit every season as well that just runs throughout sort of works around the major competitions and so i did two world juniors and two under 23s couldn't do under 23s last season because they wouldn't let me because of covid mm-hmm. <laughs> even though i was over over there oh. and two senior world champs Wow, um, that's amazing. How did you find cool. the, like the jump between the juniors and under 23s to then seniors? Did you find that any, at all any different? Yeah, it's sort of like because I was, I, was, I was a bit like I didn't get down or disappointed, but I sort of thought it was a pity I couldn't do under 23s last season because you sort of want to do races where you have a chance of like not necessarily winning but, you know, challenging for the higher places. And so I thought I, uh, and I was working towards under 23s last year, wanting to come top 30, which is a respectable result in a field of 80 to 100, especially for an Australian. But yeah, I couldn't do that. And so world champs is a bigger jump. Mm -hmm. Um, It's sort of like you have to be mid 20s or older to start having enough training under your belt to compete for the higher places so yeah like a bit of a jump definitely and definitely my first world cups were a bit of a shock sort of I guess like snow sports maybe it's me being naive but it's not as big in Australia as it is in Europe 
So how do you find uh, you're not that? Nice. <laughs> how do you find like? How do I find? Yeah, like you have to, especially like we're such a warm country. Mm. How do you find even training when there's not even snow around for more than half the year? Yeah, that's true. It's like you know, I get asked a lot if there's snow in Australia and I'm overseas and stuff. <laughs> um, and the funny thing is that the actual resorts we have in Australia really. When they're good, they're really good. Yeah. But obviously we get probably three months of snow in Australia. So I try and maximise, you know, trying to be on the snow when we have that opportunity. But, yeah, like you asked, I have to do a lot of roller skiing mm-hmm. on the roads, uh, on the bike paths, and a lot of running as well. And then I've added in swimming and cycling, you know, different different aerobic ex- exercises uh, just to keep the variation. So is it triathlon is next? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, training with a triathlon group would be great. And I've thought about it. There's ones up here in Canberra, but I've, tr- I've done a bit of stuff with a running group mm-hmm. here in Canberra, Philo's running squad, small shout out. Shout out. But, uh, yeah. Not, I should probably do a bit more stuff with them. But, yeah, like that's the thing, trying to create an environment, like and especially an individual sport, mm-hmm. an individual small minority winter sport in Australia, you sort of have to realise you, you can't just try and do it the conventional way like you would if you were in Norway Mm-hmm. exactly sort of have to create an environment around you that motivates you so I, I try and keep my training varied and join in running squads and take opportunities at uni if there's like a cycling group or a running uh, competition or something to to you know have a bit of a group around you yeah that's that's awesome and do you find like obviously you need a very high vo2 max do you find that you find, you know, swimming and cycling and running as easy as you do cross-country skiing or it's kind of like, oh, it transfers a little bit but it's a different type of fitness again? Yeah, I think running is really, really good for yep. for that. Um, and, like, we sometimes do pole running as well. So we have poles in our hands <laughs> just to simulate, just to look a little bit weird. Yep. <laughs> But yeah, like running. If I if I can't run, I'm usually not happy. So mm-hmm. that's a big thing for me. Um, and so I try and do a lot of running. Uh, sometimes with poles, uh, and that's great for the fitness as well, and the VO two max. And then it's funny. I do a bit of cycling as well. Cycling, I sort of view as more of a recovery session. And swimming, I don't do that often, but it's, I sort of think, I don't know, maybe if I've had like a cold or like for whatever reason, I feel like I want to just open up my um, airways. airways. Yeah. I just, I like the feeling after. So for whatever reason, I might add a bit of swimming in for that purpose. Yeah. <laughs> That's do you, really interesting. Do you agree with that? Oh, a little bit. Like I found a very fine balance between swimming too early and getting sicker. And yeah. swimming for the point that it just, yeah, helped loosen. Say you're the last stages of a cough and you're trying to get rid of it. That's when yeah. I, That's when it would really help and you'd huff and puff so much that you had no choice but mm-hmm. to cough it all up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
you mentioned when you were in, was it year six? That's about 11, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. When your dad said, hey, how about you do cross-country skiing and inter-school sport, you're more likely to medal. Was like that the specific moment that you knew you were passionate about it or was it more so something else that happened? Yeah, that wasn't the moment that I knew I was passionate about it. I Well, because I hadn't tried it yet. So it was like by far the biggest turning. Well, I mean, that's what got me into it. Yeah. And I grabbed a couple of friends and we made like a relay team. And that was quite fun all of a sudden. When you say like a moment I felt most passionate or I realised I was most passionate, what comes to mind is probably in year 12, uh, me and my dad were in a car crash and I broke my collarbone, which actually looking back isn't, it's actually quite a quick procedure if Mm -hmm. you get surgery on it. Painful though. But yeah, so we were in sort of a really unexpected car crash like a head-on collision and it wasn't our fault at all and we were both okay but we were both rushed to the hospital that night and and I didn't know what was wrong with me and I was in like a neck brace and a sling it was quite a busy it was a Sunday so I was just put on a bed Mm -hmm. and I just had to stare up at the ceiling for hours just waiting for when I could see a doctor or nurse or something yeah, just looking at the ceiling, not knowing what was wrong. And, you know, you're just weighing up the future and what it means mostly for your physical career mm-hmm. in sport. And if I'd ever be able to strive to the top level again in my sport. And I say that was the moment that I found, I found out how passionate I was about skiing. Yeah, it's funny you say that, you know, it's kind of like you don't know what you got until it's gone moment when, you know, it wasn't yeah. gone, but you didn't know if it, that was it, if that was your professional career as an athlete done or you could even ski like for exactly. fun again. That's scary. And like I can relate a yeah. little bit to the point where like when I was 20, I fell over and I broke my elbow and uh-huh. one of the doctors were like, oh, what do you do? for a job and I was like oh I'm a swim teacher but also I'm a swimmer and they're like oh okay you're probably never going to be able to swim again and like that oh wow yeah like I can now and but they yeah they I think they underestimate what you can do just so they don't get sued or something (laughs) but did it actually impact the top level pursuit for you or I I think by that time I'd already decided I wasn't going to the top it was more so the heartbreak of the you know the thing that I love most could be taken away from me when you're sitting in the hospital bed and you you're questioning well what am I going to do my whole life revolves around this or this is the thing that brings me the most joy yeah like it's a bit scary to have to Mm -hmm. sit there and think okay well what else could I do exactly yeah I was lucky that at the end of the day, I sort of got that experience of having it taken away, but that I was sort of back within five weeks, you know, without losing too much. So, you know, I was a bit lucky there. I had to do a fair bit of rehab to make sure I had proper movement and everything. Definitely. Well, I guess that's a significant milestone. Is there any more like wins, losses? I guess that's an injury that didn't happen because of sport, but did impact your sport that's happened along the way 
Yeah, I thought probably the, I'd call it a loss in year 11, sort of year 10, 11. The, there were the Youth Olympic Games or the Youth Olympic Games in 2016, the winter mm-hmm. ones. But it's a big deal. And especially for under 18 athletes, I think it's a good thing. So it was, I was the right age for it. And I had two really good friends that were the right age and we all sort of grew up or in the national team together and we were very competitive. And Mm -hmm. so we were all going for it. So I trained like quite hard all through that year. Um, And it was, you know, the, I, I ended up not just not getting chosen and sort of funny the way they chose it because it was slightly based on discretion and so I was pretty gutted. Yeah, they chose my teammate Liam over me and Finley. But yeah, like he earned it. But it was more the fact that it was the first time I'd actually trained really hard for a goal, mm-hmm. which is definitely the biggest thing I got out of that whole experience, which was great. And but at the time, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at the time, it wasn't. But, and even now, looking back on it, it's probably good that I didn't get chosen because I guess I sort of and other people sort of works well when you when you don't make some things and mm-hmm. you just you know realize okay I, I've worked hard but there's more to give as opposed to kind of getting a big reward too early on mm-hmm. sometimes I don't know if you've had a similar yeah definitely or- yeah, like you, you train really hard for a specific event and you, that's all you can think about for a period of time and then it gets down to, you know, qualifying it or being selected for the team and you don't make it or you don't get selected and you're like, well, why did that happen? And you go and question like, did I do good enough? And then you think about it and you're like, no, you know what, there's times that I could have put more in or there's times yeah, where yeah. or just the person that made the team was better than me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it makes you sort of realize that it should be the journey that is the most meaningful bit rather than getting that final reward and doing the one race. I had to sort of be reminded why I do it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And you had to learn it kind of the hard way. Yeah. In saying that, like I sort of revisited some of those thoughts last year or so with the the Olympic games coming up in February mm-hmm. and whilst I've got every chance, it's still a bit scary just for that reason. You could even just get, you know, a really bad cold a week before the qualification races or just get a fluke injury. And then all of a sudden yeah, it's like crashing down, but you just got to, you got to know why you do what you do. Yeah, and the reason that you do it is because you love it. And yeah. I guess <laughs> without sounding exactly. too fluffy, <laughs> the power of the universe and what will be will be and you've got to do wow. everything in your power to get there. But, you know, like you said, when you didn't get selected for that Youth Olympics, well, there might have been a reason for it and maybe it's to make that drive for it's Beijing in 2022, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, make the yeah. passion for Beijing all the more stronger. You know what it feels like to not make a team now. You're going to do everything yeah. you can. Exactly, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Motivational speech <laughs> no, from Fiona. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. 
Thank you. I didn't realize I was going to get that on this podcast, but yeah. <laughs> Me neither, but you've, you've got a happy bonus there. <laughs> <laughs> so like, that's, I guess, a, a hard lesson that you've learned. Was there, you know, any significant like wins or really good races or some highs? Uh, yeah, most recently, so last season in February at the World Nordic Championships in Germany, I teamed up with Phil Bellingham, who is an older member of the national team. He's been to two Olympics and one of the, probably the best sprinter of the last, the era, the last era. And yeah, we teamed up the team sprint and we achieved Australia's best team sprint result in terms of time back from the winner. So we came 17th out of 37 countries, which we were happy with, but we were more happy with basically coming in only a few seconds behind the winner of the race. Oh, wow. And because like usually you, you can come 17th, but you're, you know, a couple minutes behind or a minute behind but yeah we were right there to the finish so we were really stoked and I guess it's only a matter of having a better finish sprint to climb up a lot more places so yeah really happy and we thought it was funny because that was one of the most exciting races or the most excited I felt after a race maybe ever and we were joking that it's we, we at least get to feel for one weekend what the world cup leader feels every every weekend (laughs) but you know it's it's good yeah and i guess will it make you strive to feel that feeling again yeah definitely well it just does a lot for your belief and confidence other wins probably i mean winning maybe I, i don't know it sounds maybe silly and it's small but the first time i won the school cross-country running carnival Mm -hmm. that we have every year and that was in year nine or it was in year 10 that was and there were a few runners in my year but I don't know if you it was like that for you but I held those races as a pretty good competition and like a sort of have bragging rights in the schoolyard a bit and it was probably maybe one of the bigger events that have won ever and it and I, it also was after I'd done a year or two of proper training mm-hmm. and so it was sort of just a nice reward for putting work into something and I sort of thought like through at the end of primary school and year seven and eight that I was a good runner or a fit person but I didn't really think I was a really talented athlete mm-hmm. and so it was really good to start winning some races like that and start getting a bit more belief that I can be a good athlete. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And were you training, like, I know you do a bit of cross training now, but were you training mostly running then? Yeah, that was the main form of training. Yeah. But I probably, maybe I underplayed this before, but I do do a lot of roller skiing. Yeah. <laughs> and I did do a bit of roller skiing back then. I um did have a look at some YouTube videos of, of roller skiing and it's it looks really fun. Is it fun? Yeah, it's quite yeah, it actually is. Mm. It's yeah. it's almost more fun than if you go for a three hour roller ski and you've got a nice loop, then it similarly is fun as going for a run or something. Mm. Especially with because it actually is very similar to cross country skiing 
So, you know, I've got all my technique cues that I'm working on and it's almost therapeutic, just the amount of focus that you can have. And you'd probably get it in swimming, but, you know, I can go for a three-hour roller ski and just be like focusing on my technique Mm -hmm. and, and it feels good just slowly working on something and well it's a form of meditation as well as improving your technique like you get to zone out of whatever is going around in your brain and zone into what your body needs to do to execute what you're asking it to do yeah 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 exactly and that's why it's great and you probably found this as well doing sport through study like Mm -hmm. through uni or through school like even in the busiest of times you'll go and do your training session and it'll be an escape or mm-hmm. meditation and really relaxing even though you're working hard <laughs> yeah well i mean some sessions you're working quite hard so but even then it's it's, it's a an feeling escape. you get afterwards yeah exactly yeah yeah i know i know that feeling so that's a i guess that's a benefit that sports provide you you know that escape is there any other benefits it's transferred over to other avenues of your life uh, yeah, I think goal setting is probably, well, goal setting, but just having uh, like a purpose mm-hmm. and a purpose-driven life is the biggest thing that I'll take away from sport. And it's interesting. I'd like to see what I'd be like if I hadn't have done any sport, but I feel like once I've moved past sport, my brain's just wired that way that <laughs> if you know hopefully I find something that I'm passionate about after sport and I feel like I'd be able to go all out at that and be pretty driven towards whatever that is yeah and strive towards whatever the best that you can do is yeah 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 and in that goal setting has been a good and it sort of sounds like a like a school lecture <laughs> talking about goal setting but it's been really a tool that I've developed through sport that I imagine that I'll keep through life mm-hmm. it was sort of funny I um in year six mum took me to a public or guest speaker at our primary school in like an evening speaker and he was business big company in Melbourne mm-hmm. I forget what the company's <laughs> called but I, I never forget what he told us and it was, it was about goal setting and he said that his company did a study on a group of people and they gave them a number of tasks and half of them were able to set goals towards it and the other half didn't. And mm-hmm. they found 70% of the time or those that set goals were 70% more likely to succeed at those tasks and do better. Mm-hmm. And for some reason that stuck with me as an 11-year-old and so I went home and got a piece of paper and I I just remember I think I started setting all sorts of random goals um, yeah that's all right <laughs> like you know reading 10 books in the year or coming fifth in the cross-country running um I even set a goal to eat no lollies for a whole year <laughs> in year eight <laughs> did you win and did I, you succeed uh, yeah, yeah I actually I actually honestly succeeded that so I'm, <laughs> I'm still really proud of that to this day oh that's a good goal maybe I need to do that with chocolate eat no chocolate for a year and see how well that goes yeah well it's funny because I reckon the first month or 
even a week is is the determinant of whether you'll be able to do it for the whole year because mm-hmm. it got it it got really easy you know? <laughs> yeah you didn't want to eat it anymore <laughs> yeah definitely by July I was I was just laughing when someone offered me like snake <laughs> like no I don't eat that <laughs> not this year <laughs> yeah not this year <laughs> so like, like that's a good one and goal setting it does transfer over to you know, find it, it in uni you know you have a goal if you write an assignment to get this far through the assignment yeah. by this day or you know I've got three hours this is where I'm going to be up to and like little even they're yeah. micro goals but it still helps you succeed yeah and I think it's funny I've realized sort of there are different athletes in the in the sense of what motivates them so some people I feel just love the outdoors and just love going on runs and they'll do it for the rest of their life mm-hmm. um, just because they love it. <laughs> Whereas, and everyone's a mixture of these t- two things, but I think the other thing is that you love going training or doing whatever it is you want to do because you've set a goal to mm-hmm. achieve something. And I, I feel like I'm much more weighted towards the goal-orientated side of things. For example, like if I have, I usually have a few weeks, two or three weeks off at the end of each race season. And like, I'd be happy to not do that much training because I haven't, it's not like. You don't have anything um, to work towards at that time. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. yeah. It's not going towards anything. Um, whereas, you know, I have teammates that just train more. <laughs> or, yeah just because they love getting out there purely just to get out there. So, yeah, I sort of think that's interesting. That's just the way I work. What about you? I think... Does that I think I'm a mix of... Yeah, it does. And I think I'm a bit of a mix of both because I know when we had an off-season, so we had a few weeks off in swimming and my mum used to drive me to the pool because I'd be a nightmare because I missed it so much. So like, oh, okay. I was one of those people who was really passionate and in the off season, we had something called Fiona's squad down at the local pool, one that we didn't <laughs> train at. And I, you know, broke my teammates into coming and swimming with me a few times. But then oh, I wow. look now and I, if I'm working towards something, like I'm very obsessive towards it. Like I'll have, yeah. I know it brings me back to the time I was trying to qualify for nationals and I had the national qualifying time and it would be close enough to a minute for it. and it was 100 meters freestyle and I was like okay so whenever I'd heat something up in the microwave for a minute I'd type the time in huh. rather than just hit you know start oh wow <laughs> so like I think I'm a bit of a mix of both and it depends yeah how I'm feeling like if I'm feeling super passionate about the sport itself then I'd probably naturally be that person that would go run Fiona's squad in the off season but yeah yeah if it's you know I'm working towards a goal then that's what I'm focused on and that's what I do. Yeah. I do get what you're saying. And yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I say that because I've sort of realised a little bit more whilst I'm at uni. I'm, I'm so much dumber at uni. <laughs> it's because, and I did really well in high school and it was because I had such a big goal of, you know, the final results at VCE. Mm-hmm. Whereas now my goals in uni are nowhere near as high and so that just correlates to you know my workload or my my work ethic yeah and you know when I if I do have one subject or something that I have to do really well and suddenly I like I work 
hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so that's normal. But I did the same. Yeah, like, it transfers to my sport as well. And even, I guess, when you're doing different disciplines of training, if you have a goal, I'm going to say like to improve your fitness, well, you're going to do more in those events that are going to, you know, the training sessions that are based on that rather than the sprinting ones because that's not what you're working towards. Yeah, yeah. So I guess exactly. it's similar in sport. There's, you've given us a few good gems already, but is there a lesson you've learned along the way that you want to share? Yeah, and this is a, this is a different gem to the ones I've already given you, so that's good. Brilliant. I think I probably realised this moving from a junior to a senior athlete, but sort of became more evident, and especially, and this is maybe more tailored towards individual sports and individual professions even, but um, I sort of just realised that you have to be prepared to run your own ship Mm-hmm. like all the time so you need to know what means the most to you and how how you're going to get yourself there and at the same time I think you have to obviously trust the people around you and the support network and that's huge but also just have to be flexible enough to adapt to things that come up and be able to work out how to overcome challenges and, you know, get yourself to the next phase instead Mm -hmm. of relying on, you know, other people to get you through it. Yeah. I like that. That's, and it it is a very individual, like you probably didn't learn that playing cricket and footy because yeah, it comes directly related to your team. And as an individual athlete, yeah, it is it is down to you at the end of the day. Like, yes, you get support Mm. from your parents or your teammates or your training partners or your coaches, but at the end of the day, it's down to you to do the work. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not meant to sound grim by (laughs) saying you can't trust anyone and you just have to, anyone's a double agent, but um, (laughs) it's more just having the strength to make strong decisions for yourself and get yourself to where you need to be. And it's probably come a lot as well from a smaller sport in Mm -hmm. Australia where the support is always developing, but the support foundations aren't so concrete Mm -hmm. all the time. Every year is different in, you know, what's happening overseas for racing. Yeah. I've just had to be prepared to handle myself. Yeah, yeah. Or make decisions for, for yeah, yourself. Myself. Yeah. And well, I guess as a young adult, that's taught you a lot as well, hasn't it? Yeah, exactly. And I, I think I've got a good team around me. Don't get me wrong. But I think it probably would apply to when you transfer into a, you know, careers side of things. I haven't really fully transferred made that, mm-hmm. made that jump myself, but I imagine it's a handy skill to have when you move into that department yeah yeah definitely and it's it's one I think a lot of individual sport people realize at the end of the day it is down to them and they need to do the work and they need to make the steps to get where they want to be and you know make those first moves because yes you have support around you but no one's going to do it for you you don't have Mm. someone holding your hand doing it for you and I I think at, at work yeah you definitely do learn sometimes the hard way that no one's going to do it for you and if you want something done you got to do it yourself and that's not in team projects that's in something that you know is your responsibility so you've got to do it Hmm. yeah you find that sometimes (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I guess so. Like, yeah. And that's also maybe why, probably why so many athletes quit after high school mm-hmm. because it's so easy to do, do whatever sport at high school and even some of them are really good at it. Mm-hmm. But after, you know, your whole support network gets shifts mm-hmm. or gets taken from under you, then, yeah, so many people realise that they're not prepared to make those strong decisions for, for towards sport or you know mm, well like even the fact that you can now drive yourself to the training like that is yeah. a, a big one and I guess when I first turned 18 I was a little bit inconsistent <laughs> because I could drive myself and I'd get up and I'd be like oh it's a bit cold outside I don't want to go anymore to training yeah so I just sometimes wouldn't go even though I mm. woke up I got to my car and then I went nah and went back to bed. Whereas yeah. if I had have been six months before that, I was on my L's. My mum was up to sit there and drive me. I'd have made her a coffee. You have to go. Like you do have that extra drive, extra push behind you. Yeah. Yeah. The pool's the same temperature though. <laughs> yes, no, but the air's cold. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. The pool is the same temperature. I was just being an 18-year-old who had just finished year 12. (laughs) Yeah. Now we've spoke a little bit about this question. So you may have two answers for this, but is there a project that you've been involved in where sport has been used as a tool to develop the community? I do this Olympics Unleashed speaking. It's like a program, but it's also like a job, which is like in primary school presentations about like the Olympic Games or like owning the Olympic spirit. Oh. Um, yeah, and I guess I'm not a big enough athlete really to be on like like a household name benefiting people in that way, sort of inspiring all Australians, but not many athletes are that big anyway. But there's lots of ways that athletes can impact uh, the community, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And how do you find like the public speaking? Yeah, I mean, I, um, I quite like it. I think I maybe got good at it or got quite confident at it through high school. And yeah, something I enjoy now. I don't think of it as a job, really. I just, it's quite fun. And like the primary school kids, it's sort of funny because if you're good, then they listen and they're quiet and it's really rewarding. But I guess maybe with primary school kids, if you're bad, then they can actually just um, be really naughty. Yeah. Make it hell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it really shows you like on your game or if you can control them a little bit. But it's quite fun. And they ask pretty funny questions. They're so honest. Like primary school kids, I love them because they don't hold anything back and they just ask you anything. You're like, oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, it's sort of funny. I actually didn't really think of that when I was looking at a couple of your questions but that's yeah easily a great way that I have given back a little bit and it's been really enjoyable and it's sort of funny they give us these athlete cards and on the back it's sort of meant for goal setting so it's got like a little thing where they can fill out a goal they want to set but on the front it's got like a it's like an action shot of me and like mm-hmm. my name and sometimes or basically every time some kid will come up at the end with his card and 
asked me to sign it. And then I'll have my, um, my Sharpie pen and I'll be like, (laughs) yes. And then all of a sudden the whole school's lining up for signature on their card. (laughs) I'm just getting swarmed. Um, (laughs) But, and it sometimes takes 15 or 20 minutes to get through everyone and you have to do everyone once you do one person yeah and yeah I you know maybe it gets a bit tedious at the end but I sort of just say well if I can spend a few minutes doing this maybe make a kid's day or inspire them to do something that they wouldn't have done Mm -hmm. then it's definitely worth it yeah and you never know like one of these kids might actually end up to be you know the next big cross-country skiing (laughs) <laughs> and you yeah, exactly. inspired them or, and i didn't actually realize but this year we started doing a, a part of the presentation where we we actually get them to fill in a goal like there and then in a talk mm-hmm. um on the back of their card and so i go through a little bit after we do that exercise if anyone wants to share one of their goals and they're often you know so motivated or a few of them are dreaming really big and it's <laughs> It's really good to hear. <laughs> well, one of them um, might get that way. Like lots exactly, of kids yeah. go, I want to be an Olympian or I want to be an AFL football player. But like the kids that actually say that and then get there, you're like, oh, my gosh, like how inspirational is that? They said they wanted to do exactly. it. And now they're doing yeah. it. And if they said it, the way they say it to me, like when I say anyone want to share what their goal was with such enthusiasm, <laughs> If they said that throughout their whole life or career, then they've easily got enough motivation to do whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. (laughs) Not really anything that I've done on my own back, but I've been a part of a few different... Well, sort of when I was in school, we did a few things with footy where we went and played remote communities Mm -hmm. or remote Indigenous communities in Victoria and we'd play a game of free and then have a barbecue and it'd sort of be a nice day creating that connection and like I was just a part of that but uh it's sort of just I guess having a think just before how sport and maybe sounds a bit cheesy but sport is, is such a good way to bring people from all sorts of backgrounds together like that yeah and I sort of a similar thing I was in year six a handful of students were chosen to go to the Northern Territory um, a town called Arionga just to sort of get to know kids at that local primary school there and we played a game of footy on their red oval which was we we played with shoes on though but a lot of the locals there were barefoot and that was a great way that we could connect with people (laughs) yeah definitely and like you've probably made some really strong friendships and connections through sport yeah yeah Uh, and I don't know if that's contributing back to the community but I'm sure through sport I've made connections that I'll probably use in the future for work or maybe even just give back Mm. um, once I've got a bit of my own money (laughs) and status to you know, maybe I'll organise a game of football. Yeah, well, I'm going to hold you to that now that you've said uh, it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. 
it's a friendly, <laughs> a friendly pressure of support. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, like, I guess that brings us to the next question. And obviously your 2020 season, would it have been 2019, 2020 season last year, the COVID year? 2021. Mm, that would have been heavily impacted. Yeah. For, for you, especially yeah. since most of the competitions are in Europe and we were in a very lucky position where we are in Australia, but they were fluctuating quite a bit. So like, this is where this question is coming from. Like, where do you see the future of either sport in general or your sport? Yeah, well, so I did manage to get overseas for three months, which I was very lucky to be able to do. But I mean, I see sport continuing to be a big part of society and like there's two sides of sport there's the competitive side and the the leisure side or the might even call it the therapeutic side and both are very important I think within a society and within someone's lifestyle because as we were saying before bringing people together so yeah, I don't see it going anywhere. And there's a lot of talk about you know funding in sport all the time, mm-hmm. but even still, you know that's just fluff talk because it's not going anywhere. It's such an important part of society and just brings people together. So you know if overwarming hit and there's no snow on the earth, and that's sad for winter sport. But I mean we've got that would be have way bigger problems if that happened. Yes. Um, yeah. You know it's more just having any sort of sport and I you know might not go cross-country skiing every year of my life after I finish but I'll definitely participate in whatever other sports there are available yeah what do you think well yeah I think I guess it was the you don't know what you've got until you're gone kind of scenario and being in Melbourne last year we couldn't leave our house and we literally had a 5k limit and we had a one hour exercise like outdoor limit Mm. and you had to choose Mm. some days between going shopping and getting groceries with your mask on or going for a Mm. walk with your mask on so yeah like it made you really miss a lot about sport and even like the footy like we my family go for Collingwood and Essendon and we often do the Anzac Day match and things like that that you know we're not the biggest supporters of those teams like ask me if I can name five players I probably can't but like it's that family time that we come together to watch a sport that we really missed and I certainly value it a lot more than what maybe I did two years ago if that makes sense Mm -hmm. yeah and I wasn't in the second lockdown but very important that Dan Andrews kept AFL going I think through that time Mm. or you know so that you had uh, my friends were saying that it was it was great because it was something to watch yeah <laughs> and something to feel, feel yeah something a bit. yeah look forward to in our very yeah. isolated mundane lives during that time yeah <laughs> yeah and i guess we're very lucky now even the things that we're able to the freedoms that we've got that we quite mm. didn't have last year but yeah like even with the Olympics coming up, it's going to be very interesting what they do this year and then I guess what they're going to do next year mm. with you guys. And 
whether there's going to be spectators and then in terms of if there's no spectators well then how is it going to be commercialized like where's the funding going to go from because that's why major cities want olympics is because of the tourism it brings so yeah it's just a very big what if and where and watch this space kind of feeling yeah and i was also thinking apart from the social side and that side of sport it connects people to their land their mm-hmm. country i think and i sort of say that because i spent a fair bit of time and i had a gap year and i spent a lot of time in norway at a high school there so i sort of got to know the norwegian culture a bit and they're sort of another level of how much they love their you know their country and going out into nature mm-hmm. um and that's why sport is so big in in their country they're one of the smallest countries that do the winter olympics and have by far the most amount of medals at all those games so it's because sport brings them out into you know into the mountains um mm-hmm. and it's it's similar in lots of other countries and uh it's similar in australia well aussies and their swimming um, aussies and their exactly cricket. Exactly. Yeah. So, and you know, Aussies and their um, surf lifesaving. Mm-hmm. That's another huge, huge one because it's so important in your culture. And yeah, I guess like the mesh between sport and culture, sport is culture. Like it's such a big part of it, just the same as food and drink is. So yeah, like I agree with you. Mm. And maybe a lesser extent, I um, I think I know a lot more of Canberra than a lot of my uni friends because I just go and just ride around random suburbs. <laughs> when you say ride around there, do you mean on a bike or on your roller skis? Uh, either or even running. And we do this overseas. Like when you come to a new place, you go for a run and it's a great way to just instantly get to know the town that you're staying in, mm-hmm. um, whether, it's a, whether it's a big German city or a small Italian mountain village it's, yep. it's a cool way to get to know where you're staying i like to if i'm going for a run sometimes i'll just run around a suburb um in canberra uh and just look at the houses my parents are architects so i maybe like have maybe i have an eye for the for the architecture yeah but yeah i quite like that side of things yeah i guess it's like a way to explore i know my partner todd was a cyclist before a triathlete and he went to france and he loved the being able to just get on your bike and ride and um yeah. went up the pyrenees mountains which i think there's a stage of the tour de france that go up there but yeah like being able to explore that and all that like that was his most memorable thing rather than the racing that he did in france so much so that when i went to europe i actually hired a bike every single place that i went until I got to like Greece and I rode around the town because it was the quickest way to see it as you could. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So did your friends also rent a bike? Yeah. Well, I did a top deck. So I roped a few people into it, but yeah, that was my, that was my goal as we discussed earlier. And that's what I did. Yeah. Yeah. Good idea. Yes. Well, Sevi, thank you so, so much for joining us. I, I've learned a lot from you and it was good banter and I can't wait to see what next year brings you. Thanks, Fiona. Thanks for having me. I had a good time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. 
This is a completely independent podcast that has been created to share the journey and lessons of top level sporting professionals, but also your everyday lover of sport. If you liked this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you could leave a review and share it with someone who you think would also enjoy it. Until next time.